Hey there, this is Alan speaking, and you are listening to episode 3 of this season of the Urban Astronomer podcast. The June solstice has just passed, and we're deep in the grip of winter, so I did most of the editing work on this episode wrapped in layers and layers on my laptop next to the fireplace. My big astronomy goal for the past few weeks has been to see Comet C2019U6 Lemon, which is nicely positioned in the western sky for a few hours after sunset, and at the time of recording it's busy passing from Hydra into Sextans. I failed so far. Most estimates I've seen put it somewhere between magnitude 6 and 7, which means I should be able to make it out in binoculars uh, once it's nice and dark, but I haven't had any luck yet. And that's the problem with suburban skies, with urban astronomy in general. There are so many tall trees in our neighborhood that I have to time things just right so that the comet will be placed in a gap between branches, and even then, the light pollution seems to completely wash it out. But I'll keep trying, uh, although I don't know if I'll find it without a camera. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't give it a try. If you want to know exactly where to look, just Google for comet C slash 2019U6, find a chart, and pick one of the results. Let me know if you find it at podcast at urban-astronomer.com or by tweeting me at uastronomer. Anyway, this episode features an interview with Carol Boerter, a South African amateur astronomer. Carol has become quite well known on SLU, the robotic telescope and astronomy service, which I know quite well because I've provided them with a few video streams of eclipses and the like uh, over the past few years. Now, fair warning, this is a long episode. Carol and I chatted for a very long time, and I managed to eventually cut this back to under an hour. I would have gone shorter, but it's all good stuff, and she's such a passionate and enthusiastic observer that I honestly didn't want to lose anything she said. So in about a minute, I'll cut over to the recordings where she talks to me about her childhood under the stars and uh, getting to watch Sputnik pass away when she was a little girl. Then she offers her recommendations on what the best telescope would be for a beginner to buy, Carol doesn't do any astrophotography, but she does sketch what she sees at the eyepiece and explains just how that works. She's an outreach veteran and has worked for years with the Orion Observation Group, and I think we can learn a lot just from what she says about her work there about effective astronomy outreach. And finally, she talks about SLU. SLU is more than just a website where you can direct large telescopes to look at things and take photos for you, although even on its own, that's pretty cool. Now, it's also a community, and through her experience and persistence, has risen to one of the most prestigious ranks within that group. She works as an ambassador for SLU, and I think she does him great credit. But before we cut to that, I just want to take time to remind you that this show is currently funded by our Patreon account and the goodwill of listeners like yourself. If you would like to support us, there are two options. One, uh, visit our Patreon page and sign up as a supporter, pledging a few dollars every month. And two is to simply head over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whichever podcast directory service you prefer and leave a nice positive review and a rating. You're a very loyal bunch, and I can see this in my hosting reports, that you are all consistently downloading almost every episode, but we hardly feature at all on the big directories, which is why no new listeners are getting to find us. More listeners is not just about my ego, either. It's support. It's people holding me accountable. It's people suggesting content and writing in with questions for me to answer. So go on, do the right thing. And with all that tedious panhandling out of the way, let's get back to Carol. Um, Good evening. I'm Carol Boerta, as we say in South Africa. On SLU, I go by the name of Carol Botha. And I quite enjoy that as well. 
Uh-huh. I'm a wife, a mom, a grandmom, a housewife, a cook, a gardener, a seamstress, a handywoman. So, as you can think, I'm not retired at all. Uh-huh. And when it comes, when I neglect all these duties, I blame it on astronomy. That that's why the the dishes aren't washed. That's why the beds aren't made. <laughs> that's why I sleep late in the mornings. Um, it's all astronomy's fault. Yeah. My wife that's used me. to my wife used to call herself an astronomy widow. What what, what would you what would you other be called then? Um. Yeah. No. What would we call him? I haven't even uh, uh, thought of that. But he actually supports me. Uh-huh. He's not so into astronomy, but at least he he is interested in what I'm doing, is interested enough mm. to sort of support me and buy me my gear and he doesn't moan when my subs to slew have to be paid and things like that. And um yeah, I know we we a team and we, we we sort things out, yeah. That's nice. What's uh what gear do you have? What has he bought you? What have you bought yourself? Well um I haven't got such fancy gear as what most guys are using these days. Uh, but my gear that I started off with a long time ago uh, was very small. You know, when you, get, when you start uh, being interested in astronomy and you get to know your night sky a little bit and, you, and then suddenly your household is all a frenzy and you go on this astro binge. Yeah. Okay, so now you've had this first little Tasco telescope, and within a month you realize mm, 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 that you're not going to get anywhere with this. And then you buy the next little size. Uh, okay, that might do. And then you suddenly do realize, but it, it, this is not going to work either. Aperture fever. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, in a way, and up to a certain point. Yeah. Anyway, and um, one day my husband surprised me and he phoned me and he said, uh, okay, we're going to our holiday home in Betty's Bay. I've got a surprise for you in the booth. Um, just pack everything so long and so on. And he, and he arrived at home and we opened the booth and there was my eight-inch um, Dobsonian. Nice. And I was very excited. Uh-huh. Well, I cried. I always, you know, it was it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've still got that telescope. It'll always sort of be my favorite telescope because um, it's sort of the in between. Later on, um, I, I did get an a um, twelve inch Dobsonian, and mm-hmm. I stuck to Dobsonians. And maybe we can talk about that why. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had to. In the end, my husband had to construct barrow wheels for it because it's just so. <laughs> yeah, a big scope like that. That's uh, it's hard work. <laughs> and, uh, it's hard work. And um, uh, uh, when I got it, I was a bit younger. And I used to just put two straps around the thing and go and put it on its rocker box. And yeah. that was it. And off everywhere. And uh, I bought a vehicle so that we could put the thing into it. And uh, But then. Um, a few late years later, I decided that we'll have to we'll have to do something about this. And so he constructed the barrow wheels, and I could move it easily. And that was that that made a huge difference. Mm. Um, I I did not go into computerized um, go to telescopes uh, for a certain reason. The reason being, um, when I started off with astronomy, I was merely I started off with binoculars. 
I was sitting on the stoop of a home that I'd built, my husband and myself, at Betty's Bay, uh, brick by brick. And after I'd uh, laid 25,000 bricks myself, I could sit on the stoop and I looked up at the night sky and I wondered what was those faint little nebulosity things. I say now nebulosity, those years I must have thought it was just a little cloud or haze or whatever. Yeah. And I just said to myself, but I must find out. And I got myself a pair of binoculars and wow, it, it was just amazing because Betty's Bay is a little uh, seaside village and it has no street light. And all these years, um, everybody has been fighting against the authorities to please not um, install street lights. And mm. so we, so that little town is still fortunate that it does not have street lights. But uh, um, these days, you never know when they are going to decide yeah. to install street lights. But it, the skies there are just amazing compared to Cape Town. And um, when I got my binoculars, I started off by going to the library. Remember, we didn't have internet then. And getting as many books as I could and reading up and studying and studying the night sky. And starting off at one point, I knew where the Southern Cross was. So I decided I'll work all around the Southern Cross and then I'll go broader, broader, broader. Mm. And when I got the Dobsonian, it was so easy to set up very quickly. Also, I had kids then, so you had to fit all of this in with your daily routine. So I couldn't prepare too much in advance. So Dobsonian is so fantastic because you put down that rocker box wherever you want it. You take the tube and you put it on there. The guys in my astronomy group, there's a joke because they say Carol's Telescopes don't need collimation. They were always going on about collimation and collimation. And my scopes just seem to stay collimated. And when I go on an out dark sky outing, I don't fiddle with any screws. Yeah. Because if you do something wrong, you're going to stuff up the whole evening. So if your scope is, is seeing much more than you can see with the naked eye, you leave it like that. If it's worrying you a little bit that it might be out of collimation, you wait until you get home and you go and do it in the daytime and then check it at night and so on. Anyway, when you're a beginner, you're so very excited and you want to see as many objects as you possibly can because you do not really know what each object is. But when you move your telescope and scan the night sky, there's so many amazing things. Mm. that you see and pick up and you scan and suddenly there's something there. Like the night, I, I thought, I wonder what I'm going to look at tonight. I hadn't prepared, but I'll just scan and see whatever whatever comes into view. And I used suddenly, to do exactly that with my binoculars. You know, um, when I was between telescopes and I was I'd moved back into the suburbs and it was bright and I would just sit there and I would see more in five minutes than I had seen in entire months with a telescope. Yes. Just just scanning and just not, scanning. Not knowing yeah. what I'm looking at, but it's beautiful. That's the thing. But one evening I was scanning and suddenly a swan 
came drifting <sighs> past the eyepiece. And um, I realized, hmm. Now, here's a guy that's name I must mention because he was my mentor and deep sky director at the time that I, I, I started off with all of this. Mm-hmm. He told me, one, he asked me one day, have you seen the Swan Nebula? Now, imagine how I felt that evening when the swan came drifting across my eyepiece. Mm-hmm. I almost fell over. I'm, I, I was so excited. And um, that is why I thought, I'm not going to get a go-to telescope. I need to scan the sky. I'm not going to punch in NGC numbers, M uh, catalog numbers, and let the telescope find these things. I have to find them by myself and know where they are. And yeah. this comes in handy when I when when I when this came in very handy when I started doing outreach because a Dobsonian as is not obviously on gears or on a mount or whatever you can just swing it around and if you want to look at one object okay you, you've looked at it you can go here there you know within mm. within seconds and when you're doing outreach and you've been on say jupiter with the whole queue standing and waiting to watch jupiter so they've all gone through and then you get the latecomers that have been being having a few drinks somewhere or something. Oh, what you guys looking at? Oh no, we haven't seen Jupiter yet. Now by then you're on a uh, forty-seven tuck or whatever. So you say, wait, 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 wait. I'll turn her and zoops, I go back and then I'm on Jupiter again. Whereas if they go to a guy who's with his um, computerized telescope, he can't just swing the thing around to show the latecomer Jupiter. It sort of sticks on the one object for that for the evening or for that period of time. And they're so, so noisy thought, too. That Alan, did, <laughs> so, did you find that you did not like that noise at night? Of, of, of yeah. I hate that I noise. Found, uh, when, I, when I used to go to dark sky, skies, um, out to Sutherland, I loved that it was quiet. Now, I must also tell you that when I was little, I, w- I lived in a little town. My ba- dad was a bank manager, and we moved around a lot. And then we moved to a little town, t- um, Towns River, right. which claim to fame is that in, what was it, 1882, or when was it? Uh, uh, 1882, yeah. A British ex- expedition actually um, observed the transit of Venus of, from there. Oh, and okay. I remember, yeah. and uh, so that's the little town, and we lived there. And one night, uh, well, one day, the grown-ups were huddling around um, their transistor radio, and I was hearing this beep, 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 and they just sort of forgot to tell us what this was all about. But I heard about Russians and spies and and what I can still remember that I was very little, about five. Then suddenly, our bags were packed. And the whole town was on was at the Towers River Station, and we boarded a train to nowhere, we, just to nowhere. Yeah. And it was evening when the train stopped at nowhere, and my dad had to lift me off the carriage because the carriages were so high off the ground because there wasn't a platform. This train just stopped. This train took, uh, the, took the whole town somewhere on this excursion. Kids, we kids thought this was very exciting. 
played in the dark, um, ran around uh, in the Karoo, and um, that was just fun. Mm. When some, somebody shrieked, there it goes, there it goes. And I looked up, and I saw a star move across the sky. So was that Sputnik? That was Sputnik. Wow. But now I'm actually so depressed, actually, because all my life I said, I saw Sputnik, I saw Sputnik. And now when I researched and I did some reading about it, I think I actually only saw the carrier rocket. Because wow. only a few people, I think they were called the moon watchers in Pretoria, mm. uh, the researchers there, uh, I think one or two maybe saw the satellite itself. But they said it was so faint that most probably what people were seeing was the carrier rocket. Yeah. Anyway, but it, it did leave a big impre impression on me. But, you know, since that night, being out there in the middle of nowhere, and you know that sound that insects make, that buzzing sound at night? Mm -hmm. It buzzes. Those Christmas beetles uh, or I the cicadas thought, or, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was the sound of stars twinkling. And that is, I think, why I did not like having noisy telescopes with because I still had to hear the stars twinkle. Right. And up to this day, obviously, I know it's not the stars twinkling, <laughs> but I still feel it's a, I feel it's the stars twinkling. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just my little bit of, you know, no, I, I actually hear the stars. You won't believe and it, but the reason I don't like the computerized go-to scopes, speaking as a guy who's been working in technology his entire life, I can't make them work. They just couldn't. They, they, <laughs> I push the buttons and then they, and I, I align them and I do all the process and an hour's gone by and then I say, okay, show me Beetlejuice. And it takes me to a blank piece of sky. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone I, else can make them work. I can't do it. Don't, don't feel bad. <laughs> I've been with, I, I, I've done quite a bit of outreach with my group and everything. Yeah. And um, not everybody can get them to work. That's strange. And it's supposed to be so they, foolproof, but it's and not. Sometimes, and, and sometimes I, I go over to, to other uh, guys' scopes and I want to just quickly see. And then we start punching in and we punch in and we uh, uh, fiddle and whatever. And then I've got to pretend that I'm patient, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think, okay, no. No, I think, no, 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 no. I mean, I run back to my telescope and I could just go, whiz, and I turn it around and whoops, up to the object. And, um, you know, the more difficult objects mm -hmm. I haven't been able to see because I can't find them because my neck gets too stiff. Yeah. Um, so there they've got the upper hand. Um, now that I'm on SLU, though, uh, obviously things are even even <laughs> easier because I don't even have to carry. I don't have to set up the telescopes, and I don't have to carry the telescopes. So, uh, but yes, uh, setting up that telescope for a lady to try and uh, also carry the mounts because they are very very heavy. Yeah. If you if you're using a good mount, mm. um, it becomes cumbersome. Yeah, no, my dobs. They do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was determined to get the hang of those computerized ones because I used to do quite a lot of uh, astrophotography. And I had an equatorial mount with the clock drive on it, 
but the time you spend just getting your polar alignment right and then constantly manually correcting i thought no the next logical step is the go-to drive and i borrowed one and i just could never make it work so yeah but i had the patience because pointing an equatorial mount by hand that is that can be quite challenging it's not as easy as a (laughs) and and it slows you down you see i've seen uh problems when with the guys that get these um equatorial mounts and people who buy equatorial mounts and Mm -hmm. telescopes on equatorial mounts and then in the end they come to our uh, gatherings and and they come and seek help Mm. to use these things because they also and that's why i always advocate get yourself a Dobsonian if you are a beginner and learn so many of the cheapest entry-level telescopes come on these they're not just complicated equatorial mounts, but they're these very wobbly, rubbish they, mounts. They're very wobbly. When people um, come to us with those kind of telescopes, so, you know, you can't say to them, listen, you've, you've bought a bit of rubbish or something, so you try and make the most of, mm. of it. But it's always a good idea if you start off with astronomy rather to do a bit of homework and Rather, uh, speak to people who are knowledgeable before you go out and buy a telescope. I've actually, one day I was at, in the mall and uh, at a telescope shop, and a lady came walking in it near Christmas and wants to buy her husband a telescope. And the salesman was not clued up at all because over uh, this is another thing. Just before Christmas, they get extra salespeople and they're not qualified actually to help uh, customers. And I could hear that the advice he was giving was totally but totally wrong. And I, I could I could actually see, I could actually feel the, 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 her husband's disappointment on Christmas morning. Yeah. So she, she went out the shop all, okay, she's got all the little ducks in a row and she's going to, they're going to sort the finances and she's going to get this telescope. And I followed her. I ran after her and I said, Please don't buy that scope for your husband. Please just, um, I, I, I know the, the guy in the sh- in the, that actually owns the shop, and I said, please just get hold of him. Please just get your husband the, the correct scope for, for, for his, uh, uh, as a, for a beginner. And, yeah, no, so I hope I helped her there because he, 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 was, she, he was going to get a horrible yeah, um, I think actually a spotting scope or something like that. Uh, it was just not not on your. They, those things, they're such lovely instruments for bird watching. Yes, but you can't use they them will, on the well. They don't work well on the stars. Yeah, my husband, my husband, maybe why my husband got that eight-inch telescope. I don't think he realised everything was going to be upside down. Mm. Maybe he had ideas of pointing it to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but dear. anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no. Talking about equipment, then we got our, the twelve-inch. He made the barrel wheels. Um, he gave. He got me a good camera, not for astrophotography and attaching it to telescopes. I'm not. I have never uh, uh, pursued that avenue, but I do like putting my uh, 
camera on a tripod and I do like um, imaging the moon mm-hmm. especially so uh, that's that that's my passion yeah but not not astrophotography I'm not into st- stacking and things like that then that just feels as if it's taking a bit too much of my time away from astronomy I don't know uh, other people might don't think the same as me but now on when now that I'm on SLU obviously mm-hmm. the images I get I can do a little bit work um, so I do a little bit of stretching um, and so on with like Photoshop or so, but I don't have specialized software like in um, in uh, Fix and Sight and with uh, pairs and and all of that. I've looked at it and then I realized, but I, I, I'm not going to use it. What I actually only want to see and what is nice, um, uh, working through better telescopes and being able to to do a little bit of stretching and see what I can get out of the image. I actually want to see what is in that, what is lying in that object that I maybe cannot see. And obviously, um, I I did do deep sky sketching as well. And I sit with my little light box that we also designed, um, and I sit with my little uh, red light and sketch, and I chase away the bugs and stamp my feet if there's snakes and uh, yeah if I think there's snakes and things like that um but so when I when I do sketching at my telescope I have to try and see what what can I see in that object Uh, and um as Oka said you only your your only log what you can see. So what I used to do as of when I started off and I decided, for instance, tonight I'm going to sketch the Andromeda galaxy. Right. I don't go onto the internet. I don't read up about the Andromeda galaxy. I don't go and see what it looks like. Now, obviously, the Andromeda galaxy is very familiar. Yeah. And you have seen images of it. And I sketched the Andromeda, and I actually sketched in the dust lane. And Oka, by accident, saw my sketch, and he said, what's this? So I said, I don't know, but I sketched it, so it must have been there. But that stuck in my mind because I thought, did I sketch it because I saw it or did I sketch it because I've seen an image of it? Yeah. So I followed up and I actually threw my eight-inch telescope in a dark sky uh, uh, place. I could see a dark lane. So I had actually seen the dark lane. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is how I go about object and when I get to know, I want to get to really intimate and know an object I try not to read up too much about it I try not to to see images or to go and seek images or anything on the internet I read I read in a book there's this object whatever catalog number 
oh, well, I'd like to see what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And then I find it and I sketch it. And only afterwards when I'm reducing it, will I maybe add something interesting that I've read, but then I would also mention that this is not as I saw it on the evening, uh, but this is what I've read. And also the, where it comes to the sizes and things, I make mm -hmm. estimates uh, according to my field of view, but only afterwards when reducing, I will go and put my reference um, uh, um, the, the magnitudes and things like that will definitely be I'll, say, I'll, I'll state that the, this is what my research has come up with but I tried what do you mean by reducing oh, okay. that's a term I, I, I learned when I started doing deep sky observing and sketching okay. reducing when you're uh, sketching obviously you're not going to um, be able in the dark to sketch, do a very neat sketch. So you'll so you'll be sketching. Say now I'm doing an open cluster. It's quite difficult. Now you've got the little circle that you've got to work in, and it's quite difficult to place the stars that they will be look like that open cluster. And you've got to really concentrate mm. to get the stars. So you you you. You, you you start off with your brighter stars and you work away around. You search for patterns in that object that maybe are e easier or triangles or strings of stars or whatever. But the, you do make mistakes. Then you see, okay, no, I've put one little star too close to the other. And then you draw a cross through that star. Now, reducing means... You don't go and you redo your whole sketch because uh, if you want to do it according to uh, sort of like, well, those days, uh, to the rule of the deep sky director, you, you don't copy an image out of a book or something. You have to say and state what you saw on the evening, in those conditions, whatever. And so then you draw a little cross through your mistakes where you've made mistakes and when you reduce then you do do your image but you place everything precisely or you if you can um, later on I became a bit more pra um, practiced in this lot and I had special erasers and things that I could really er erase without making big black smudges on my sketches um, you take away those little wrong stars. Uh, you don't add anything. You don't don't glamorize it. You it's got to be authentic and it's got to be true. Uh, so you're just cleaning it up. Then you you're, you're removing errors and you're cleaning up your your sketch and um, okay. and yeah. Oh yes, and reducing also means that you will turn your sketch north up. East to the west, so that people, oh, yeah, okay. that's a very important yeah. thing, and uh, which I am so glad I used to have to do, because working on the northern hemisphere uh, robotic telescopes, they do have their images north up, east to the left, so everything looks a bit more familiar to me than it would have if I'd left my images as I'd seen them through my eyepiece. 
That's right, sort of right. like an international standard so that everybody can uh, uh, can compare their images or whatever. Tell me a bit about your outreach. So after I um, discovered that the stars twinkle, <laughs> I and I got my eight-inch Dobsonian, I saw a little uh, snippet in a newspaper. Now I'm going, carrying on on my own and uh, and reading books and seeking objects around the Southern uh, um, uh, Southern Cross and so on. And I read this little snippet that read that there was going to be an event at a wine farm, and everybody were, uh, and it was uh, presented by the Afrikaans radio broadcaster RSG. Radio Sonnegrense, let's teach the people a bit of Afrikaans here. <laughs> Radio without borders. Radio yes. Sonnegrense. Yeah. Um, and they mentioned the name Willy Quips. Okay. And obviously all the celebrities um, of the broadcaster as well. Mm. And I said to my husband, oh, no, no, we must go along to this because um, I think I, I must uh, sort of meet other people doing astronomy. So I put my eight inch in the boot and off we go to the wine farm. It's a huge gathering and there are a lot of scopes being put out, um, set up outside. And I walked through them and everybody was so clued up and so knowledgeable. And I said to my husband, no, 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 don't take my telescope out of the boot. (laughs) Can you believe I was too shy? That sort of also stuck with me when I started doing outreach. I don't think anybody came in, in close to me who was who remained shy because I was so aware that there, there might be people who are shy mm-hmm. that I was always on the lookout for somebody who I could sense was afraid to ask a question so I remember being shy and leaving my scope in the boot, and um, I was very inspired that night. Um, went away inspired, did more stuff, um, and anyway. And so one day uh, up at our mall, one of the telescope shops, the guy was um, had his telescopes all outside and all excitement and everything. And he was showing them the transit of Venus. I got went closer and so on. We got chatting. I got to know him. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, he said, but have you heard about this group, the Orion Observation Group? And I said, no. And um, for short, the acronym is OOG, another Afrikaans, O-O-G, OOG, uh-huh. I. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, here's the number of a, of, of, of the, of a lady. Uh, phone her, uh, and he also said to me, yeah, the, the function, would, they've got an end of the year function, and it would be so nice if I could go. Anyway, the Orion Observation Group is an informal um, astronomy group. We have no committee. We have no membership fees, no finances, no treasurer, no SARS, no pressure. And it is, it's, we've been going um, since 2003, and every uh, summer season, 
We do outreach and in the form of stargazing picnics at the Afrikaans Toll Monument in Paul. And then um, they gave me wings to fly. And before I knew it, I was uh, organizing these events at the Toll Monument. Monument, And I uh, did it for 11 years. And I've just handed over those ropes to Johan and Omar Leroux. Mm-hmm. So we've reached out to hundreds of people from young, old, students, children, moms, dads. Everybody comes for, it's like an informal picnic. They come with their picnic baskets and they, it's, a, it's a wonderful venue in that it's high up on Pole Mountain mm. and a, sort of above uh, the light pollution. Uh, it's not dark, dark, but at least it's better than in, in the city. Yeah. It's they're beautiful views. So people come and watch the sunset and when it gets dark, um, or all our telescopes are set up and when it gets dark, they all come down and they come and look through our telescopes. And there's, oh, I've had such wonderful times there. And, um, and I, I sort of like remember so many people that have looked through my telescope. I remember a group that we had a Valentine's uh, event, uh, a picnic fell on Valentine's. And these, this group of people, they were all dressed in red T-shirts and everything. And they hugged my telescope and they were really, I mean, I've got a photograph where they're, they're hugging my, and actually kissing my telescope. So, um, and then there's a, it's just fun for family and we give them advice. We uh, t- uh, tell, uh, show them the telescopes. We introduce them to the night sky. Um, you really have to be, on the ball though because I don't know if you've done outreach and as an amateur astronomer you've actually it's quite difficult because you've got to be sort of ahead of what they have read in the newspapers in the media and heard um, all the time because maybe you haven't even opened or or, or read and then they know about something that has exploded or something that's about to explode, or, you know, it's, it's actually a very broad field that you have to cover. Mm. And, and these days, uh, with, with all these apps and things, you'll find that people are in the back of your crowd, and suddenly they, you, somebody asks you a question, and you're sort of going, ooh, ah, and then they shout out the answer from the back yeah. with apps. Um, so it's actually, yeah, you've got to you've got to be on your toes, boy, uh, if, if you're doing outreach. There, you have a lot of clever, and and what I find is the school kids are getting so clever. Mm. <laughs> well, I find sometimes it's nice just to let them be an expert for 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 a minute or two. You know, I do. It's I good to to one, not know everything. I call one with an app to the front, but but so, uh, many many times they disappear. <laughs> 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 but anyway, but um, and and I remember I'll ne- I, I always remember uh, Mr. Clemens Thomas um, from Taos River, the town where I saw Sputnik. Mm-hmm. He regularly brings his whole class from Taos River to the Tall Monument, and they stay over for the weekend somewhere, and they come to the stargazing picnics, and um, yeah, it's just been amazing. 
Um, the, the Orion Observation Group is a really a special group in our, and they've done amazing uh, work in introducing the general public to the night sky. Yeah. And just by being an informal well, a group, uh, astronomy group, but mm. we're like a family, you know, it's, it's, it's really wonderful yeah. to be part of such a group where you can really feel there's no pressure and you can make mistakes and somebody's there to help you. Um, for instance, some evenings, uh, especially me on the Dobsonian, uh, I can get the objects just one, two, three. Mm. I turn around one, two, three. There, Omega Centauri is in my eyepiece. Everybody can watch. But then you get those evenings when you just can't find the stuff. <laughs> you don't know what happens. But it's you bit tired or, or whatever. And then you just call over to the guy with a with a computerized telescope and you yeah. ask him, hey, just point your laser in the direction for me. You know, it's, it's that kind of atmosphere. It's really, really wonderful. Yeah. You never feel... Um, stupid or, or so on. So, no, it's, it's a great club. Um, I really enjoy my journey with them. Yeah, that's good. Maybe we can get a phone number or, or uh, contact details if people in the area um, would like to. We we are on Facebook, on Facebook mm-hmm. um, www.facebook.com forward slash Orion Observation Group. Okay. Um, and they'll find them there. And they also can go to the Toll Museum uh, website because all the stargazing picnics and even full moon picnics are advertised there as well. So that's www.tollmuseum.co.za forward slash happenings. Okay. Um, so so basically we, we used to have a website, but everybody's on Facebook these days. Um, so... And especially the, the, the public that we uh, draw to our stargazing picnics in Paul are mostly Afrikaans-speaking. And it's, uh, we found that the Afrikaans, that that group of people, they um, usually visit Facebook. I found not so much Twitter. Now, you've been on SLU quite a bit. Um, I understand they even approached you at one point to become a SLU ambassador for them. How, how, did, you, how did you get their attention? What's, what are they like about I you? Don't, I, think I'm, I think I'm just so enthusiastic about astronomy. Well, that's true. I, I've seen your – I've, I've I, been following you on Twitter for ages. Yeah, um, and it, it just comes naturally – I, I don't know, but I can't help when I, I can't help getting excited and I can't help sharing this excitement. And I think this is this is why maybe they could have noticed. Um, yeah, the winds of change. Mm-hmm. Um, I started feeling uh, well. I got this feeling that. Um, Mist, wind, bugs, cold, wet, dew. And one morning, after a night of observing, I discovered that the bump against my netting in the night had been a leopard because we saw the paw. (laughs) And then when I, and then when, 
when I got an expert to come and check out the paw, yeah. um, and they said it's a leopard paw, uh-huh. I said, you must be joking. And I, I thought they were joking. And then the next, about two days after that, I read about the leopard that had been spotted uh-huh. in Betty's Bay. Okay. Oh, my word. Okay. All these things um, made me think maybe I should consider <laughs> an alternative an alternative way of doing astronomy for when I get older. Right. You see, now listen now. Now I'm not, I'm, I'm still in denial with mm. other words. I am old already. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I never really knew anything about robotic telescopes, uh, online telescopes, anything. Mm-hmm. I, um, live events uh, that slew covered and I've, I had that I'd watched on the internet, but I didn't really, I didn't sort of zoom in on SLU when I started getting these ideas of, I wonder if there are other ways of doing astronomy because I would not really like to pack up just because I can't handle my gear anymore. And maybe and another, another huge factor now that you um, talk about um, astronomy widow, Mm-hmm. My husband was becoming worried about me driving alone okay. to dark places at night because yeah. I used to do that easily. Mm-hmm. And I also started feeling that my eyesight wasn't so good at night anymore and also started becoming a little bit tense when I drove home on on the highways and byways in the dark mm-hmm. and late, late at night or early mornings. And I wondered if there was a way that I could um, rather bring astronomy closer to home. My first thing was, first thought was I'd have to get a new hobby. Anyway, I started doing a little bit of research and I came across quite a few sites of robotic options. But the SLU's platform just seemed so easy for me that the other platforms just it just felt I no 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 this is not for me it looks too professional it mm. costs a lot of money um uh, and 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 th- th- these these sites are for the big guys and then I came across Slu and I I said to my husband you know I think I must try out this robotic telescope um, online observing option. And I joined as a crew member, and then you have limited um, uh, time on your telescopes and and, uh, and limited slots that you can book yourself and control the telescopes. But I was quite happy, uh, what we call piggybacking uh, other members' uh, missions. Yeah. And... It was a nice way to get into SLU because you really got to know the other members because we I, I was just on SLU a little while when suddenly they uh, had, um, they said, okay, no, 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 we're going to do a Messier Marathon. Mm. But that would have been tricky with me being just a crew member because you can't uh, book as many telescope uh, slots and so on. And it was so nice because 
I did the marathon. I went straight through from beginning to the end, as would I do, not <laughs> taking my eye off the telescope once, but as a crew member, I had to actually image each uh, shot live. Okay. Otherwise, I would miss it. I could, I, you can image other, other members' uh, missions while they're running. So I actually sat the whole way through and I did all, but then I was missing one image. And I went to our discussions board and I said, hey, I still need one <laughs> image to film my poster. And the guys were so friendly and they, I immediately, immediately got my image and I just thought, well, this looks really like a lot of fun. So uh, I think only a month or two passed. And I decided, no, what the heck, I'm going to become a full-time member and I'm going to control those telescopes and mm. uh, I'm going to really enjoy myself. And it has been amazing. I mean, if I can't, I can't, okay, they asked me to be an ambassador, but that's easy because I'm enjoying myself so much and I'm learning so much. Um, they pull out all the stops. Sometimes I actually feel, um, wow, this is too much. When are they going to? When are these guys ever going to get any rest? Um, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, no, they really. There's just I've never been felt so spoiled as what I am on SLU. Yeah. They say um, the best things in life are free. Mm -hmm. I don't agree. These days, the best yeah. things in life aren't free. There are very good things that are free. But sometimes, if you really, really set your mind on something and you really want to do something, like I want to do astronomy, mm -hmm. then you, do, uh, you have to pay your membership fee. And uh, for what I am getting, I will pay it any day. I've actually, just uh, on the 1st of March, I was my second anniversary on SLU. So mm. that's a big celebration for me. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, yeah, what, else, what can I say? I was on SLU for just two or three months when Dr. Page Godfrey said she was going to invite us to take part in her intro to astronomy uh, class because she was, uh, we were like a, a guinea pig. She was going to use it somewhere else. And I thought that's a good thing, you know, because I do outreach and intro, intro to astronomy is just the thing you need because to, to have something new and exciting to tell to, pe to the public at the, at the tall mu uh, monument. Mm. I set up Every Thursday morning at two o'clock, waiting for Paige Godfrey's intro to astronomy. Yeah, I think it was in the second intro to astronomy chapter. We were doing gravitational lensing. So, so, so her idea of intro <laughs> <laughs> into astronomy and mine were quite different. Yeah. And then another chapter was galaxy classification. Uh -huh. And she said, okay, now we must each do our uh, Hubble tuning fork. 
and we can sub we must gather images and fall in our own uh, tuning fork with with the different galaxies mm-hmm. types of galaxies and we must submit them and if we submit them before a certain deadline she would mention us on her live show right that didn't mean i i didn't think that the, the mentioning on the live show was not that did it for me but if someone tells me i've got a i've got a deadline i've got to do a galaxy fork and i've got to get enough yeah, images yeah. that galaxy fork carol's going to do it yeah, yeah. so guess who's <laughs> galaxy classification landed on time anyway unbeknown to me set my alarm for two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. got up now okay this is another thing working online is almost like like real dark sky observing yeah I, i've instead of you you have to have bug spray i don't like bug spray because in the evening there are mosquitoes you see the same as if you are on outside so i've constructed like a tent a net tent okay. i sit under this when i do slew <laughs> so <laughs> Mosquitoes don't bite me. <laughs> anyway, I tuned into the live cast for the next chapter, which was, I think, three-dimensional thinking or, or something like this, but it was a heavy. And suddenly, at the end of the show, she says, oh, by the way, thank you so much, Carol Botha. <laughs> almost fell out of bed. But you know how, how it feels for me mm-hmm. I, that it's so excited about stuff. Yeah, I'm sitting two o'clock in the morning. The whole world around me mm. is dead asleep, and I can't shout out, "Oh, hey, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, what happened?" But it's just been such a good, uh, such a wonderful ride. And now that Slew's got the new pl- platform, mm-hmm. uh, they've revamped the whole uh, structure of the website. Uh, we've got clubs. I belong to uh, clubs like Astro for the Soul, Astronomy for the Soul. That's where we can talk about myths and legends and all that kind of stuff that I love as well. Mm. And there's the Ad Astro uh, Club where Paul Cox tells us all about the technical stuff of the telescopes. And he's just uh, installed a new telescope in Chile. And... I, I can't think that there's another uh, robotic telescope website where you can feel so much part mm. of the inner workings of what's going on. So there's we a real community him. there. It's a whole community. We we uh, he we followed him as okay. he unboxed that 17-inch plane wave. We saw the installation. He. He had videos going. We panicked that he was going to get to up high on that mountain in Chile mm-hmm. to do the installation because at the time there were riots in Santiago. We were all part of that. And each night we used to tune in and say, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> and he used to let us know, no, he's okay. He's okay. And then it was his birthday while he was there. And then we all say happy birthday and we all have a celebration. It, it, this is what slew is about it's it's you don't you're not on your own and you you well you can choose not to Mm. be social but i just find that the interaction with other members 
how on earth would I ever have known how to use astrometrica? Yeah. By the way, I still don't know, but at least I've I've downloaded it on my computer, and they will, as soon as I'm ready, they will help me. Um, I've learned about software that I can use to identify what's in my um, field of view. Mm-hmm. So this is just stuff that I would have never, ever. I've seen my first quasar. I first made a mistake. I thought I'd seen the quasar. And then one of the guys in the Near Earth um, Object and Comets Club, these guys do serious work. They submit mm-hmm. all this stuff. Said, no, Carol, I don't think you've got it. Um, this and that and that. And then I went back to the drawing board and I did find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a club now um, that they're starting off. They've just actually uh, uh, given us the t- tutorial photometry. Now, how I, I would never be able to do that on my own. I would never. You you need somebody to guide you. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's exciting. Um, there's a club, the Outer Solar System. Oh, there's the Nightscapes Club. Oh, I don't. I haven't missed one. I haven't taken one photograph. I've bought Mike Shaw's book, and I'm studying the book. But his photographs are so amazing, mm. and his knowledge of the night sky is so amazing. So. When he's telling you about nightscapes, which is a bit different to astrophotography, whereas you, you have a camera on a tripod and you imaging uh, wide field uh, images of the night sky, yeah. and you, you, it, they are, those photographs are so beautiful. And we all get together um, on a Wednesday morning early now. It's actually quite nice now because they've got all this fan, funny stuff of daylight saving and all that. Mm. This time of year, it's fine. I'm getting up from for Mike Shaw now at four o'clock in the morning, but when those hours change, then it's three o'clock. That's a bit of a bummer. But um, then I say to myself, what was I doing before when I did went to a dark sky place? We used to start observing when the sun went down, and when the and the, and when the sun, we wouldn't stop until this. We could see the first rays of the sun. I yeah. mean, you'd wait until you could maybe see the the zodiacal light. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so now why am I moaning? Because I'm have to be up at four o'clock. <laughs> but I think the difference is is when you we when you start um, an a evening deep sky observing, you get all excited and you can carry on and on. Yeah. I think the whole thing is the alarm going off, and you have to sleep. Yeah, have been sleeping, but I'm quite I'm getting used to that now, and uh, um, I, it's just amazing. I've uh, and they embrace me and they help me and they inspire me, so I have to be an ambassador for sleep. You're not kidding about your enthusiasm. This has really been fascinating listening to you. But yeah. I was wondering, if people want to find you on SLU, um, how do they go about that? If they want to see, look at your photos or, or join the community with you, what must they do? If they want to join SLU. Um, and to find you on SLU. If you join me, if, if you join SLU today, you'll find me immediately. Okay. You don't have to search for me. 
what happens is, uh, like tonight, I have missions going to Thor's Helmet, Mm-hmm. And I have a mission going to M78, the Reflection Nebula in Orion. Uh-huh. And I've got a mission going to the Virgo Globular Cluster 5634. Right. So when I open, when those missions have run, mm-hmm. and some um, uh, many times I watch the missions live, because actually I sketch from SLU as well. I just have to sketch sketch very much quicker than I used to do uh, when I sat with my light box. Um, When I open my uh, photo roll tomorrow morning and and see my images that have uh, been accumulated through the evening, and I choose one of them that's been really nice and that I like, I share it to the observations page. And if you are new crew a new member on SLU, even if you're a trial member, you will be able to, and maybe you can't, I, I, I'm not sure, um, and I'm, people must rather deal directly with SLU about how many missions can you book and uh, all of that. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the telescope pages and you'll see in the certain slots, Carol B, Carol B, Carol B, and you see my missions, okay. you can... Robo snap my missions, and you will get my missions in your photo roll. Okay. So you'll get images of my missions in your photo roll. Wonderful. So, or you will, if you go to the observations board, you will see where I have shared some of my images, because all the community shares their their best images on the observations board. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, we find one another there very quickly. That's great. Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, I mean, taking the time to chat to chat to me and. Um, thanks for having me, Alan. Uh, um, I hope I have been, I can inspire more people to join me on SLU. Yeah. And yes, and just the last little snippet <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah. SLU has lo- just launched india.slu.com. They have mentioned that they are interested in launching SouthAfrica.slu.com with our own club. So I so wish more South Africans would join me so that we can have our own club Mm -hmm. and then people can uh, log in to SouthAfrica.slu.com. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, thank you, Carol. She's so passionate about this, and that's why I love speaking to other amateurs on the show. Next episode, though, we will be answering another Science Explaining Bit question, as is the custom of our people. The question I will try to answer is a simple observational one, and it's something that we touched on when I appeared on Podcast Insider a few weeks back. What is the difference between the skies of the Northern Hemisphere and the South? I'll do my best to avoid simply listing deep sky catalogs for you. But until then, remember to leave reviews and recommend the show to a friend. And if you're in South Africa, where the general public still think a podcast is just an MP3 download link on a community radio station's website, well then, uh, show them how to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. So with that, it's time to sign off. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the 7th of July. Clear skies and goodbye. Goodbye.